Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Spheres of Influence. This is the podcast where we talk about the things that influence us, religion, politics, and culture. I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm your host. Maybe one of the biggest mysteries in American politics and religion is how Donald Trump, a man that cheated on his wives, has been accused of assaulting women, has never saw himself in need of forgiveness and has no discernible spiritual life to speak of, became the darling of so much of American evangelicalism. Especially among white evangelicals, Trump maintains a hold on their votes and support. How did this happen? What was going on within evangelicalism to make this possible? And it's important to note that it would be wrong to think that the devotion that the former president receives is unanimous. From the very beginning, mostly a mostly younger and diverse cohort of evangelicals opposed Trump. But that support came at a cost. Today, I'm speaking with Nap Nasworth. From 2011 to 2019, he was the politics editor at the online news site, The Christian Post. During the time of Trump, he found more and more resistance in any article that he wrote that put Trump in a bad light. In late 2019, he resigned from his position, and in a series of tweets, he explained why he resigned, and he said this about his then, now, former employer. Like so many other media companies, they've chosen to silo themselves. They've chosen to represent a narrow and shrinking slice of Christianity that might be a good business decision, short-term at least, but it's bad for democracy and bad for the gospel. It means there will be one more place where readers can go for bias confirmation, but one less place where readers can go to exercise their brains on diversity of thought. So, today, I will talk with Knapp about the near future of American evangelicalism. We'll also talk about what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, especially in the light of a recent letter that was leaked where former uh, SBC Southern Baptist leader Russell Moore charges conservative leaders in the denomination for failing to support abuse survivors and not taking the problem of racism seriously. A little ab- about Knapp Nasworth before we go into the interview. He has a PhD in political science from the University of Florida. And before his stint at the Christian Post, he was a lecturer at Marietta College and the University of Georgia. So without further ado, here's Knapp Nasworth. Okay, well, thank you for taking the time uh, to meet with me this afternoon. Um, The first thing I want to kind of get is a general um, kind of outlook of where you think evangelicalism in America is right now, especially post-Trump, sort of. And, you know, is it, would you see it as, what are the good points? What are the points that you think are, are troubling right now? I see two different directions, and it's really becoming more like two different evangelicalisms to me. And so on the one hand, you have uh, evangelicals who 
are very much involved in concerns about uh, immigrants, refugees, uh, who are, you know, working on poverty, who have concerns about race and racism and how police and treat uh, people of color and lots of different concerns like that that are taking place in conversations and um, conferences and things of this sort that are taking place within the evangelical world. And uh, these evangelicals tend to be uh, more racially diverse um, and uh, younger. So younger and more racially diverse. And, and, and these are all things that have evangelicals throughout their history have been working on as well. So you have that that's taking place. And at the same time, you have uh, a different sort of evangelicalism that uh, voted for Donald Trump, that have uh, gone along with Trump on his anti-immigrant attitudes, who get very uh, defensive and fight back at any sort of uh, discussions about racism in society today and uh, who so sometimes uh, have been referred to as uh, white, uh, white Christian nationalists, have a very nationalistic perspective on their, face, on, on their faith, that God has blessed the United States and, uh, in certain ways, and, uh, and they see their faith tied to the fortunes of the United States. Uh, and so you have that evangelicalism taking place as well. And uh, both of these evangelicalisms, they, sometimes they can run right through individual congregations where people are, uh, you know, where you see both of them reflected in individual churches uh, and sometimes uh, individuals themselves. And so you have people who are, you know, evangelical and see themselves torn in different directions. Um, and so as far as the future, I think one, one interesting question is which of those groups will continue to call themselves evangelical, you know, uh, will there be a new word? I mean, like I said, both have ties to historical evangelicalism. Um, but I, I think we're seeing a division now that was uh, exacerbated by President Trump. It was already there, but exacerbated by President Trump. Uh, but it's a division that I think will have reverberations for the next century. Well, it seems like with a lot of things um, with President Trump, he did a lot of revealing that things that were already present um, that probably a lot of us didn't see or maybe saw, but didn't think they were as a big problem. And surprise, they, they came to be a lot bigger than we thought they were. Yeah, he, uh, the Trump presidency has definitely revealed a lot to me. I mean, there was a lot about my own faith, about evangelicalism that I was just sort of blind to. I didn't, it was always there, but, and I just didn't see it. But uh, he has done a good job of really shining the light on some of the dark corners of, corners of my own faith. So how do you see this playing out in, in local congregations? Since you have talked about the fact that you can find these two evangelicalisms within sometimes the same communities that has to make church life rather stressful. Yes. It's, it's divided churches. In some cases, people have left. Uh, in some cases, you know, it continues to be uh, disruptive within individual congregations. Um, and, you know, and so in a very, in some cases it's the pastor who's struggling 
to keep his congregation together and to find common ground and to to listen to both sides as pastors should be doing and to pastor to both sides and 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 everything uh, and who are struggling just with the division that's happening within their church. In other cases, it could be the uh, members of the congregation who are concerned about their pastor who has gone down some some dark paths and some dark roads with all the uh, conspiracies and misinformation that they're uh, that's uh, that you're seeing within certain circles of evangelicalism today. And regarding your own um, background, you talked to, I've, I've been reading your um, article in Arc Digital, um, which is a, fa- a fascinating read. Um, and one of the questions that I keep keep coming up in my, my own mind is how people seem to just quickly turn on a dime and that there were lots of articles beforehand that seemed to be very critical of, of um, former President Trump. And then all of a sudden, they, until they weren't. Um, what do you think brought that change? And I, I share that because I um, have worked in, in kind of never Trump um, circles as well where you kind of saw that same change happening in the wider GOP. What do you think brought about this change that all of a sudden people went from being critical to kind of just a devoted follower and and even more so than you would with any other um, conservative politician? So yeah, it's, I think there's several different angles to this problem, but one that I think it's important to understand is that um, p- partisanship itself is just a really heavy drug. You know, it 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 really influences your brain. Um, you know, when when you have your your mindset is that your your loyalty is to a particular party. Uh, you know, you're it, that's your team. You're going to root for your team. You're going to. And then what that does is that influences how you see the news. And so when you see news that's critical of your team, your political party, uh, you're going to reject it. Uh, When you see news that supports your views and uh, supports what you want to believe about your political party, then then you're automatically going to accept it more without uh, closer examination. Uh, so, so that's one of the things, you know, this is something political scientists have understood for decades now. It's just how strong partisanship can be and that it's not, you know, you have, we have in our mindset that, oh, you have a political philosophy and then your philosophy is tied to which party you're cho- you choose and so forth. But that's not really how it works for most people and, and most of the electorate. It's that these are like, uh, it, it's like a cultural uh, symbolism that takes place where you see yourself part of a community and, and then that community becomes, you know, you, you become devoted to that community and want to defend that community and, and you see the other side as the enemy and you have to fight against the enemy and you have to defend your community. And that's the whole mindset that, that people get into whenever they let partisanship take over the, their brain like that. Uh, so, th- so that's, I think that's a big part of the story. There's, there's some other angles that are going on as well. One from just uh, my, uh, what I saw as far as happening at the Christian Post is when you get a certain audience and you want to uh, create articles for that audience, you know, and so 
because of the way the internet is set up today, you know, all these news sites, they have their own niche, right? And that they have their own audience that they have to speak to. And what happens is people go on the internet, not because not to sort of expand their brain, not to expand their viewpoint, it's to, it's for confirmation bias. It's, they, they go to on the internet to find news that, that tells them what they want to hear. And so when you have uh, news sites that uh, try to have a diversity of viewpoints, then th that becomes, you know, becomes harder, actually. It's, it's easier to have a narrow viewpoint on your news site than have a broad set of viewpoints. So for you, how hard has it been then to, because it sounds, the way that you're talking about it, it's almost as if to go against what's popular is it's like swimming upstream. And how has right. that, how have you dealt with that? Um, well, I mean, I lost my job. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't look, I, I wasn't fired. I left my job. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, I th I've heard from a lot of people who've experienced similar things where it, it becomes not only, uh, you know, and depending on, you know, your profession, it becomes dangerous to speak out or take certain positions. But just in your personal life, I mean, friendships and so forth, that people have, uh, you know, cut off ties and uh, over these political issues. And it, I mean, I talk about partisanship is like, you know, this thing that's been going on forever. But with, I mean, with Trump, we should also just point out, I mean, he has a devotion to him that's been unlike most politicians, you know? I mean, so, th so there's some, a unique situation going on there as well. I don't quite understand it, uh, you know, why that is, but there's the, the people who support Trump just, uh, it's, a, it's a devotion I haven't seen toward any other politician. And most of them are like me, a white evangelical. And, you know, we've t you kind of talked about partisanship and how that has had a role, but it feels like in, in more recent times, it's almost kind of a super partisanship that it's not just that you have a viewpoint and this is how you believe and it's different from the other side, but it's almost to the point now it's what I believe is the right thing and these people are all the heathens or the bad people. Um, I, I, I'm just kind of curious if you see that happening and if so, what has kind of made something that was maybe quote unquote normal become cancerous? Yes, I, I think what you're hitting on now is just the danger that's involved when you combine religion and politics, right? So uh, you have these certain eschatological views within evangelicalism about the end times and the second coming of Christ and so forth. And what's happened within certain, uh, you know, certain circles within evangelicalism that are tied to Trump, sort of a combining of sort of uh, a lot of this end times theology with conspiracy theories, some really wild, crazy conspiracy theories. Uh, and, and, and when that happens, so what the mindset is, is that, okay, Trump and the Republican Party are on the side of God, Joe Biden, the Democrats are on the side of Satan. 
And so when you have that mindset, then, you know, that, that that's when some really dangerous things can happen. And, you know, and we saw some of that on January 6th, you know, not everyone at the January 6th, uh, you know, invasion of the Capitol was a Christian. It, you had a lot of combination of weird religious beliefs, uh, a lot of new agey sort of religious beliefs, but also new age combined with Christianity. So you, that's what happens with a lot of these conspiracy mindsets and conspiracy circles and so forth. Um, so that, you know, th there is really the, just a huge danger, which, you know, <clears throat> I used to think this was just sort of a theoretical thing that happened in other countries, you know, as, as far as like the violence, religious violence and so forth. And I, I never expected it to become quite as, intense as it's become now under Trump and even, you know, after he's left office. Well, in, in looking at January 6th itself, where do you see kind of the kind of Trump, Trumpified evangelicalism's fingerprints on it? Because um, there seems to be different roots. And as you, you've kind of talked about the different various things that have, that were factors, but, um, where do you think evangelicalism has its its kind of role? Yeah, we, we saw a lot of the symbols, uh, you know, among the insurrectionists. Uh, they were carrying crosses. Uh, a lot of their signs had like Christian, uh, uh, like verse Bible verses. And then when they got into the Capitol, uh, there were there was like a prayer that was said, you know, on the on the House floor. Um, so yeah, there was there was lots of symbols from my faith, uh, the, and and the the Christian flag, right, that was also being carried among the insurrectionists. And what do you think has been the fallout, especially for evangelicals in the in after January six? I mean, more division. I mean, it's. <laughs> Gosh, it's, it's, it's just been like, so, so you have some who just want to sort of stick, stick their head in the sand and say, you know, this isn't really a problem. Let's move on. Let's stop talking about it. Uh, you know, so you have that, that sort of group. And then, then you have some who are really concerned about it, like me, who are saying, no, we, we need to keep talking about this, trying to figure out what's behind it. Um, and, and then, of course, the people who are involved in it, who uh, have totally embraced uh, who who are churchgoers who have totally embraced not only devotion to Donald Trump but devotion to now all these crazy conspiracy theories coming from places like QAnon um, and you know and there was just that QAnon conference last weekend um, that also had lots of Christian symbolism. And, uh, you know, and this, this is taking place in our churches. You know, I, I hear a lot from, uh, uh, from others that there are pastors, lots of pastors who are very concerned about what's taking place within their own congregation, that, that, that they have, you know, their own flock who is believing in these QAnon theories, uh, conspiracies, and, uh, and that Trump is going to be reinstated as president. And that the Democrats, uh, you know, drink the blood of babies to keep themselves young and all sorts of just some of the wild and crazy stuff that's, that's going on within our own churches. And I guess thinking about QAnon and 
kind of its role within faith. Um, where do you think that can all lead to? I mean, what what could it could this belief in in that you're hearing that's you know can sound pretty dangerous and pretty apocalyptic? Could it lead to as I think um, um, Pete Weiner has said, religious violence that someone actually then feels like the only way to kind of bring about God's kingdom is basically to take up the gun. Yeah, I mean, and this is probably the most important thing that your listeners should hear today is that this can lead to more violence. That it already did lead to violence on January 6th, uh, and we have not dealt with it adequately, and it most, most certainly can lead to more violence. You know, we, we're hearing, uh, I mean, Matt Gates was like, pick up your guns, kind of thing at a, at a speech recently and so you, you're you're hearing all, all these sorts of implications about you know picking up arms you know against your own government and and things like that now a lot of people are going to hear that and and say oh it's just metaphorical you know most people probably but not all of them right and so uh we should be very concerned about the potential now for more violence like January 6th, but, you know, if it's not adequately dealt with, if, if the law, our law enforcement is not on top of it, uh, you know, it could be worse next time. Uh, I'm, I'm, and I'm particularly worried what's going to happen in August now that Trump is saying, you know, he's going to be reinstated in August. And that's become like the, the, the thing that everyone's, you know, gathering around is this whole notion that uh, Donald Trump is going to become president again in August. So that's, 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 you know, that that's, could be a particularly dangerous month if, if it's not adequately dealt with ahead of time. When you talked earlier that there are these kind of two evangelicalisms, how do you think that the other evangelicalism that um, we haven't talked about as much yet, that is more diverse, it's younger, it does not buy into kind of Trump, Trumpism, how are they engaging or confronting um, this other half of evangelicalism? Well, first, I would say that they need to be doing more. I think a lot of people in that in the other evangelicalism just kind of want to move on with their lives and kind of ignore what's going on. It's this is one of my concerns: is that you know you, they shouldn't be ignoring it. That this is something we need to tackle head on, um, you know, there, there's, there's sort of a perception like, oh, you're giving evangelicalism a bad name if you're talking about this. But no, we need to be talking about it. We, it's, a, it's a major problem. We can't ignore it. We, we have to do something about it. Um, and there are others who've, who've, who are doing more, who've been talking more about it. You know, Russell Moore, who's in the news this week a lot, has been talking more about it and uh, and about doing more. So I think I think that that e that other evangelicalism needs to be very intent on working through their churches, working through relationships that they have, because th these are the people who most likely have relationships with those who are going down a dark path. Mm -hmm. We need to reach out to those people. Help help bring them back from the edge, and and do what we 
do what we can, but it, it, everyone needs to get involved here uh, because it's a dangerous situation. Well, and speaking kind of about Russ, Russell Moore, um, he's been an interesting figure. And I will say personally, he's someone that I've actually admired, even though I, being more of a liberal Protestant, tend probably would disagree on, on theological issues. But his integrity, um, I think his importance on racial issues have been important to hear. And so it's it has been quite surprising to hear that he was um, stepping away from um, his leadership and going going to Christianity Today. And then, of course, the letter that came out this week, which was, um, to put it mildly, rather surprising. Um, we haven't talked specifically about specific denominations within evangelicalism, but obviously probably one of the largest would be um, Southern Baptist Convention, and I believe you grew, grew up Southern Baptist. What is his leaving, his, his um, all of the kind of fights that he has basically had to deal with over the last few years? Is this talking about a kind of a change that's happening even within the Southern Baptists? Um, well, first, just a correction, I did not grow up Southern Baptist, okay. but, um, and uh, but, but, you know, I have lots of Southern Baptist friends, and of course, I've, it's the largest Protestant denomination, so it's been a, a big part of my studies as someone who studied evangelicals in politics. Um, so, the, yeah, the Southern Baptist Convention, I, it, it'll be interesting to watch which direction they go or what happens as a result of this fallout. Um, you know, the, their annual meeting is, is, I believe, next week or the week after. It's coming up pretty soon here. Um, you know, so what's going to happen at that meeting? Who's going to be elected as the next uh, president of the Southern Baptist Convention? That's going to tell us a lot. Are there going to be any consequences to some of the things that Russell Moore revealed about uh, people within the convention who are, uh, you know, uh, covering up sexual abuse, more or less, is what he uh, accused them of. Um, you know, their un unwillingness among some in the Southern Baptist Convention to deal with racism. You know, we, we, so the, the two evangelicalisms I talked about, it, it runs right through the Southern Baptists as well. And so which, which of those two evangelicalisms is going to emerge, you know, and how long will it take? <laughs> you know, that, that these are all big questions. A lot, you know, there were already, even before this happened with Russell Moore, there were black pastors who left the Southern Baptist Convention uh, over uh, issues of race and racism. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just want to see, you know, um, are, they, are they going to deal with the problems or are they just going to sort of ignore it and pretend that, you know, that these divisions don't exist? That, that's another possible outcome is that, They'll, they'll just try to go on as usual, uh, you know, uh, in, in a sort of uh, solidarity type move. To, but, uh, but to me, that would mean not adequately dealing with the problems that exist within the convention and, and probably would mean young people continuing to leave as, as has been the trend. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be watching closely as someone who's interested in what's going on, but not, not a Southern Baptist myself. But um, 
but definitely those two evangelicalisms runs right through the Southern Baptist Convention. And we saw that with the Russell Moore uh, news this week. And kind of what, what is the role that race plays? And, and I mean, we've kind of highlighted some of it, but obviously, you know, you could probably say in a wider um, conversation that it's something that as America, we still are trying to come to terms with, but it seems like this is something that has, I would say, be, been revealed um, as a dividing line and uh, within evangelicalism in America. Um, how do you confront that? And how do you also confront that there are even other, also persons of color who, and as in the article you wrote, support Trump as well? I mean, the first step is to acknowledge there's a problem, which we haven't even got to that first step in America with a, a huge parts of our society who are just denying that the problem exists. And then uh, and then, then you had Donald Trump came along and he, you know, just he was a race baiter. He he definitely he inflamed racist tension for the purpose of winning the election. You know, that was his whole thing. He, uh, you, you know, he he took the racism bone and he, he scratched it. You know, that's, he, he, he brought those issues out into the open. Um, you know, and that, and that's why we've seen a resurgence of white supremacist groups under the Trump administration, uh, who are just, were just energized by his whole presidency and his candidacy before that. Um, and so, and the, but the most disturbing part to me is those who just, are denying that this is even happening, you know, who just who are just acting like it's not that big a deal or it's, oh, we dealt with these problems already and it's not that big of an issue. I mean, my goodness, it's uh, with all that's gone on during the Trump administration, um, you know, to, to deny that there's uh, systemic racism in America today, as, as Mike Pence did, uh, I believe this morning or yesterday in a speech, um, you know, it's just like, uh, people are living in a different world, you know, two different worlds here, uh, just to, to not see that. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that just if we can go back to the Southern Baptists as an example, it's that they were heading in the right direction, you know, that they were dealing with the racism issue and, and were making lots of strides and they were having conferences and so forth. Um, and then the, the division that Trump kind of brought along and highlighted and exacerbated uh, was to get people to not, you know, come out and say, oh, I'm, I'm a white supremacist, but it's to say, oh, well, we're, we're against the anti-racism efforts because it's not biblical or something like that, you know, as a way to sort of align with Trump without aligning with the white supremacist is, you know, sort of what's taking place. Um, and so, and so that, that's disturbing as well, you know, that, that you would have, uh, you know, because of these political divisions that have, have propped up, that you would have people basically uh, who, who would say on the one hand that racism is a problem, but at the same time find themselves in the same room of a coalition that includes white supremacists. 
Well, and I, I will agree with you that um, I remember um, back in 1995 was the um, resolution that was passed that talked about um, apologizing for slavery. And that seemed to be, a, I, I think, an important landmark um, event. And you are correct. It seems like there was a lot of uh, conferences and that, you know, this convention was finally kind of moving in the right direction. Um, do you think that it has basically stalled or if not moved backwards under in the, in the last few years? Well, let's see who they elect as their new president next week. Okay. Uh, but definitely uh, with Russell Moore leaving, you know, who's gonna replace Russell Moore as head of the ERLC? Who's gonna be the new president? Um, so the, the, there are definitely forces within the Southern Baptist Convention um, who, you know, want to want to do exactly that, want to stall the, the progress that was being made. Um, you know, so, so it's interesting to see, you know, who, who has, you know, the influence, what's going to happen next. I don't really know. We'll see. Well, the other thing is kind of talking about is the, the merger, as you said, of religion and politics. And, you know, we've seen that going on now for about two generations, especially within evangelicalism. Um, how do you think that that has changed? Because it's, you know, that's something that has been around, I think, probably since the late 70s, at least. And it seems like within the last five or 10 years, it's kind of become even darker than it, it may have been or, or may have not been, but it just seems like it's it's not the same type of relationship that it was a decade ago. Yeah, and, and not only that, they uh, what you have now as far as with the Christian right um, is that, you know, they've, they've basically abandoned the, value, the values that they claimed to hold previously when they backed Donald Trump. Um, and so that, uh, I, I, I think in a lot of ways, we, you know, we're, we've seen a weakening of the movement, this movement that started in the late seventies. Uh, I think Donald Trump just showed how weak they are. You know, the fact that they were unable to really have much influence on Donald Trump. And it was only, it's base. it was basically like, you know, they, they voted for him. They, they were his strongest supporters. Um, and but they couldn't get hardly anything fr from him, um, you know, except. Uh, well, I, I will say that the, the Supreme Court appointment was important to them and not important to Donald Trump. So that's that's basically what they got was the Supreme Court appointments. Um, but but even then, he was listening more to the economic conservatives than the social conservatives on on the Supreme Court appointments. Um, so. You know, the, yeah, I, I think that the movement has basically just uh, sort of melded with the Republican Party. Uh, you know, it used to be that they would challenge the Republican Party much more than, than you see today. Um, but uh, it, it, for, to use an analogy with the, the Democrats is basically what happened with uh, black voters and the Democrats after the civil rights movement, where they became such loyal Democrats that it became hard for them to hard for them to get anything they wanted from the Democratic Party because they, they have a hard time uh, 
because you know like 90% of blacks vote for democrats they've uh, uh you know they've become such a reliable voting block that's like you know why why does the democrats need to give them anything they're going to vote for them anyway and what do you think that the there also seems to be this interest in, or, or at least among leadership, and I don't know if it is among the people, but a desire for either power or control. Um, there was an article last summer from the New York Times that um, kind of followed a, a grouping of, of evangelicals in Iowa. Um, and one of the things that I remember from that, and it's actually, I think, the title of the, of the, the article is that you will have power. Um, where does that fit in and why is that so important? Because it seems like it's not, speaking also as a Christian, that it's not something that we are really supposed to be seeking. Was the title of that that article taken from a Trump speech? It is, actually. (laughs) Yeah, so that's what he was telling them, right? That's what he was saying. That's how he got the vote of evangelicals. It's like, vote for me and I will give you power, which is basically the same thing that Satan told Jesus in the desert, right? Exactly. You know, give me your support and I will give you what you want. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's just always a dangerous path every time the church goes down that path of seeking to achieve God's goals through political ends. You know, that that never ends well. Uh, You know, and so the, you know, God's methods aren't the same as like uh, political mobilization, you know, that, you know, politics is something else, you know, it's, it's not, it's not about the kingdom of God. It, it's not eternal. It, it doesn't have an eternal viewpoint. It's always like, we have to win the next election. You know, that's the viewpoint of, uh, of electioneering and political mobilization. Uh, so it, yeah, you get into dangerous territory once you have the mindset once you have the church in the mindset of you know to achieve what we want we have to gain political power and it also seems to lead to a loosening of standards and and of what you once believed yeah it's the distortion of the your theology of christian theology so if you were to look out in the next 5 years or so where do you see American evangelicalism heading and obviously having Trump not be in the White House has has not necessarily meant that his presence is um, gone. It's still there. Um, how do you think that that's going to affect um, the movement in, in, the, in the near future? I, I think we're going to see more splits. Uh, you know, what, what we saw this week with Russell Moore and, and even before that with, with certain congregations leaving the Southern Baptists, more splits like that, you know, within other denominations. Uh, you know, I, I think you're going to see the divergence, you know, to become even more clear mm-hmm. within the next five years. Uh, and it'll even be more clear than that in the next 50 years. <laughs> mm. And how do you think that that's going to affect the the nation as a whole? Well, it, it doesn't bode well for this sort of uh, partisanship that we're seeing today. Uh, you know, we're just, uh, you know, we're, 
we're, we're sort of living in two different uh, universes, it seems like, where you have, you know, one group that watches Fox News and the other group who watches CNN and MSNBC and, and they have just very different views of the world and very, uh, you know, some of it is an urban rural divide uh, and uh, just very, uh, you know, different ways of seeing, you know, it's, and it's, it's not just sort of political differences, it's cultural differences. And, you know, and so these, these sort of differences play themselves out, not just in politics, but you see it in football, you know, the NFL sports, you know, it's basically politics has, has taken over our whole lives and, and you see these sort of divisions taking place. Uh, you know, and, and an optimistic view is that, uh, you know, you know, perhaps there, there will be some bridge building that takes place, you know, as a result of the splits that are taking place there, you know, each, each time one group splits off, there's opportunities to build bridges with other groups. And, and so, so, so maybe that, that would be sort of an optimistic view is, is that there may be other places where we can start to come together and try to have conversations with each other to understand each other better, to understand how we're all going to live in this diverse country together. Um, one basic question is, how comfortable do you feel using the term for yourself as, as an evangelical or be, yeah. as a, because of everything that has happened recently? Yeah, uh, I, I continue to identify as an evangelical with a great deal of discomfort in doing that. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's to me, it's a, an acknowledgement of, you know, it's a historical truth, you know, that the, you know, I became a Christian at a young life camp. It's an evangelical camp. I've been involved in evangelical churches my whole life. That, there, that is a historical tradition that I'm a part of, and it is a historically accurate term to refer to myself as an evangelical. Well, thank you for taking the time um, to talk to me today. This has been an engaging um, discussion and um, definitely hope we can um, chat a little bit more sometime in the near future. Thanks for having me. Yeah, there's just some good questions. Thank you. Thank you. That was Nap Nasworth, the former politics editor at the Christian Post. Nap has a po- has a podcast of his own that is called Protestant and Politics, and you can find that by going to his website at napnasworth.com. If you can, please consider leaving a rating or review on whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast on. And also consider sharing this podcast with someone you know. If you're able, please consider leaving a tip. Use the link in the show notes to show your support for this podcast. I want to thank Nap Nasworth for taking the time to visit with me. I'll be back soon with another interview or commentary on the things that influence us 
religion, politics, and culture. I'm Dennis Sanders. Take care and Godspeed.